Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson, here tonight with my co-host Alejandro, and tonight we're going to try something a little different, interviewing each other so that you can get to know us a little bit better. So Alejandro, our listeners haven't had much of a chance to hear about your own practice, so I was wondering if you might like to start by talking a bit about that. I started as a trained painter and also I did a lot of drawing and I, I have done printmaking and I sold at the beginning of my career as an emerging artist some three-dimensional murals made out of concrete and foam, styrofoam, and they were quite interesting. I have a fascination with horses and I breed horses and most of my work was informed by that for a long time. So I also... Part of my practice is, is being an art administrator. I have done that for several years. When I moved to Saskatoon, I, it just transformed completely my practice. I started to be more interested in, in identity issues and how an immigrant sees things from different eyes and all the prejudice that comes with it from both ends. And that started informing my practice at the time. I did a collection of paintings at one point, and I destroyed almost all of them. They were called Manhunt, and it explored the identity. I always wanted to be a ginger, and I was always fascinated with that. And some of the paintings did an exploration of of gender and homosexuality and transgender. And I included that iconography of red hair, because I find that red hair, there's a lot of myth towards them in other cultures. And in my culture, they were not quite common. And I'm from Puerto Rico in the Caribbean, and most people are Spanish heritage. And once in a while, there's a, a ginger. And I was born with a little bit of burgundy, reddish hair, and I lost it. And as I grew up, that also stayed in my mind, and it created this idea that I felt special being a ginger, and then I was no longer a ginger. So I believe that uh, all this time in, in, in my practice, and more so at that time when I moved here, when I was trying to find a space in this new society and in this new culture with a very thick accent and was not, people pointed me from a different place, but they quite didn't know where I was from. So I just start looking inside myself and I said, how can I present my work in a manner that, that allows other people to get to know me or know my culture? So I did a series of painting that was called Canada from the Eyes of a Stranger. And some of those paintings were exhibited at the public library here in Saskatoon. And fortunate for me, I sold most of them. And I was surprised. I, I self curated the show and and I did everything myself, marketing and everything. So I was very surprised and very humbled by the fact that a lot of people came to the exhibition and most of the work got purchased. So that for me was encouraging to just keep working on on more of that intimate part of my work and revealing that. And in those paintings I did, I started exploring the concept of identity. Who am I in this place? How do I see things? How can I contribute with my colors, my personality to to this project that I was working on, who I am in this time and space? And I work after that, uh, I, and this is, this is sort of a secret, but I have 
in that process of identity. I have created identities. I love dancing and I also have performed in, in dances and, and I write and, and sometimes I do poetry. Sadly, all of that is in Spanish and there's not a forum here for people to understand the work that I do. So I create this, these personas that go out in protest, in social protest. Okay, so let's talk a bit more about that. So what type of events do these personas show up at? Okay, I created a persona that was called Super I Am, and Super I Am was uh, an identity of, of a superhero. It was all dressed in blue. Blue is a color of protection, and some of the weapons that it throw was truth, uh, solidarity to others people, and also see the truth on people. So I went, and there was a big manifestation in the office of Kelly Block, because she was instrumental in approving a law to take the, away the rights of medical and healthcare system to immigrants. So of course, I'm an immigrant. I'm already a Canadian citizen, but I just feel for the people that come up. And I think, you know, it's socialized for everybody. If you're an immigrant or a newcomer or not, if you're sick, you're sick. And if you don't have money, how are you going to tend for care? So I, I find that that was very unrespectful of her and very mean. <laughs> So I created this persona, and this persona came out. It was a very cold day, and I have stockings, and I have also a very short sort of bikini pant, and then I, I create my own outfit. I, I did a cape, a blue cape, and I did a, a headpiece. And also they have passed a law in the federal government that you cannot go to a protest wearing a mask, that you need to go in your own persona. So I find it fascinating, and it, it also fed my interest to challenge the apple cart a little bit. I'm a little bit of a rebel, and, and it shows in those moments. So I did. A lot of people uh, was interested in who I was. I never revealed my identity. I got interviewed by Global TV and CBC Radio, and they got very upset because I never told my name. I said, I am super I am. And I said, no, but I want to know your real name. And I said, a superhero never reveals his identity. And I laughed. So there were some parts of comical and, and just being the person that radically, with a little bit of humor, challenged also the media that created circles out of all these things. So I was just, it was a satirical moment for me. And I enjoyed it. And, and again, I do these things and I'm not looking for any attention. I'm not looking for any recognition. I do it because somebody needs to do it and it's my call as an artist to do this. That same character came to another performance that I did in Divas. I dress up and I stood up in a corner and it was a night that people get dressed up in underwear. And here I was and, and I stood for more than three hours in silence observing everybody. And there was a lot of people that knew me did they come up and talk to you and were you ignoring them? Or? No, when they talked to me, I didn't ignore them. I have eye contact and I talk telepathically. So that was my conversation, you know. It was, again, it talks in a place that is loud. You don't need to have a verbal voice or vocalize an expression to communicate with people. You can do it with your eyes, you can do it with a touch, you can do it with movement. And that's what I did. So in this case, people did know who you were under the mask. No, they didn't. Okay. They didn't inclusively. I went and I had a date to dance that night. And I show up like that and my date was looking for me and I saw the person went out and Paul is a friend of mine. And he was there and, and he was looking for me. And all of a sudden when I decided to reveal, reveal my identity, I went up to him 
again. He couldn't recognize me, and he smiled at me, and he smiled back. I shaved. I have my this, my legs were shaved, my arms were shaved. So I completely changed my persona, and hardly anybody recognized me. So then, when I start dancing with him, he then recognized me, and he started laughing. And then everybody just then back know that it was me. So I explained why I was doing that and articulate the reasons why I didn't talk. So what was their reactions after then? Like, did people talk to you about this in the days that followed? Or? Oh, yes. There's people taking pictures of me. And, and what was interesting, because some of the people that even were there that knew me didn't know that it was me. They find it weird. And some people came to me and I said, you're weird. Why are you not talking to anybody? Why are you dressed up like that? And I just smile. And, and after, when, of course, I went to them and I said that I was doing a performance and that was part of a performance, they said, oh, that's sort of cool, but, you know, it was kind of weird that, that you never talk. How can you come to a place like this and not talk? And I said, that's exactly it. Coming to a place where people are expected to have a nonverbal dialogue to dance, but then you don't talk, you don't dance, you don't move, you are there as a superhero, some of them thought that I was hired by, by the Divas Club to be animating the activity. How did the superhero persona itself then relate back to this protest that went to Kelly Block? Well, the superhero comes out once in a while, and, and again, Kelly Block and, and all that, there was a, not another protest about, about any of those issues, so the superhero didn't need to come to that again. I... Again, I work for the city, so I need to be very careful uh, certain things that I do. So creating these personas to me as an expression of art, just it's a way for me to just, without being conflicting, send a message. And, and again, there's photographs of this, but I don't own them. It's our own and are in the world by other people. And I don't know where they are. I did another performance in, in a gay pride parade. And that was the issue uh, when the Muslims, all this with ISIS, and, and I dress up as a Muslim person. And people thought, of course, I look a little bit like that. I get stopped in the airport all the time about that, and that informed that character. And I went out, and of course, Muslim people have uh, challenges and coming out if they're homosexuals. So because of religion and cultural challenges in that precise religion and culture. They don't feel that they have the opportunity to come out. So I thought it was a voice for those people that are in the closet or are people that don't take the courage or cannot do it because they are in that religion. So I dress up as a Muslim person and I put a sign and I walk all over from my home and the reaction was fascinating because there's a lot of prejudice at the time. So what was what did the sign say? A uh, good question. The sign said, "I am not a terrorist. I'm an artist." So I I spin it when they ask me again. I don't talk because if I talk, they I don't have an Arabic accent or a Muslim accent. I'm not from any of those cultures, and I respect everybody's culture. So I didn't just wanna just start talking and be too expressive about it. I I like this protest to be silent and peaceful. And I did the sign, and in the sign, one side said, I'm not a terrorist. And on the other side, it said, I am an artist. So if somebody asked me, I just turned it around, and then they laugh, and some of them hugged me. There was lots of photographs. Even there was a photo in Facebook that a, that a person took. I don't know, and it was on Facebook, and 
and the character that one exists and there's some Victoria representation of the moment and I there was a, a police officer that of course he knew me and there was a, a beautiful moment when we were talking because we knew each other and then a photographer from one of the media came and saw us talking the police officers with his uniform and then a Muslim person talking so he didn't know what my project was about so then he snapped the photograph and then he asked my name and what's known and, and the photograph is somewhere there on Facebook so those are my moments that I did my silent performance uh, are sort of social interventions where where I can just socially activate some of those issues that need conversation and talk. Well, and it's interesting too how you're talking about how that project lives on in the photographs and work of others. It's So it's not self-documented. No, I don't self-document that work. So it really exists only if others engage with it. Absolutely. And that day, because it was a beautiful day, it was very public. A lot of people took photographs, people that I don't know. Some people that I know and I have never asked for the documentation because I'm not interested. I want it to be alive in other people's minds and in other people's catalogs or all the paraphernalia that people collect. I'm not interested in collecting. I think when you just go out, uh, it's sort of temporary and it's something that is in the moment and it, it's valuable in the moment. When the moment is gone, it's just a memory and that's the art. So do you have plans upcoming for other performances? Yes, I would. I have a couple more that I'm working on some of the costumes for it, but I won't reveal where they are. They're going to show up and you will see me around and probably you won't recognize me again because it's a total different costume and a total different identity, but has to do with nature and, and living things. And what brought you to those themes for your work? It's all the, the interest that I have about the environment, for, particularly for this one. It's about the environment and the fantasies that we validate certain fantasies, but we don't validate other. And for example, like the fairy realm and all this ethereal and spirituality, we don't value that because we cannot scientifically prove that it exists. And if a person like that say that is a seer and see things, if they tell you that they saw a fairy, you will think, oh, yes, he, he made that up. But then if we said that there's global warming, and because we don't see the results of it, we also challenge that, no, global warming is non-existent. So the work will relate to those things. So I'm working on it. Well, thank you, Alejandro. Yes. So, Michael, I've been talking about me for a long time. Now I just know that you are a person that is always involved in projects and have a lot of clever ideas and what is that keeps you busy this day i heard something about a space that is called the creative commons what's that yes we're developing the creative commons which is a production space for artists designers and other makers that's attached to void gallery it actually encompasses the second floor of our space it's got a printmaking studio so it will be a space for printmakers to rent on a monthly basis if they so chose to come and work but it also has a large workspace where the intention is, is that for individual projects, for short-term gatherings, it's hard to find space to work. A lot of artists have studios, but finding a larger space for specific projects or a bookable space for events can be a challenge. And so it's open to both of those. Artists can come, create a project there, 
and then sort of leave without having to have, you know, rent a space longer term. It's also bookable, like I say, for smaller music, poetry, art events as people would want. So that's one side of it. And so then the other side is that in terms of creating a publicly accessible space, we are offering a program of workshops. Well, that's good. And there's not many space in the city where uh, large projects, as you mentioned, people can work on them. And there's also some of these studios that are chaired. They don't allow for anything that is toxic or, or smelly and because there's a lot of people with allergies and what's not. So it's great that the spaces like these are functioning. And I'm pretty sure that you will be looking after all the hazard and safety and all that. So the artists don't need to worry about that. Yeah, I worked at the university as a printmaking technician. And part of that was safety training in terms of women's, in terms of chemical handling. That is something that will be from the top down where we will have a set of chemicals that are safe and environmentally friendly. And then for others to bring other products in. It would just have to be checked to make sure that there, this is something that's safe. And secondly, that there isn't something that would be more environmentally friendly available. Because if we can go that route, that's what we're going to encourage in terms of use. But yeah, on the second floor, we have a, a number of windows. So in terms of ventilation, there is fresh air there during the summer. So that's good. And you were mentioning what other activities are going to happen there. I know you were working on a, on a grant for some workshops. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Well, we have two sides to a program of workshops that we're developing. The first side are skills-based. These are workshops that are publicly focused so that someone who is a beginner in the technique can come in and gain an understanding of that process. So we're starting with printmaking workshops. We have two that we're offering at the moment, an etching workshop run by Patrick Boulis, who is the printmaking technician at the University of Saskatchewan and a silkscreen workshop that's run by Kate Francis, who's a local artist. Kate just finished her MFA at NASCAD in Halifax, great and well-known locally printmaker. Kate's workshop actually sold out within the first week. There's a, been a great demand for silkscreening workshops. So we're going to be offering another one in August. We're starting to waitlist that one, but Patrick's is available. The link's we're just getting our website up, but the website is creativecommonsyxc.com and we'll have a link there to purchase tickets through Picatick. So we're starting to offer those workshops and we're going to be continuing to offer printmaking and workshops in other artistic areas as well. We're also encouraging artists who may be teaching workshops currently, uh, we're encouraging them to possibly look at our space as a space for these workshops. Part of the intention there is that rather than the workshops themselves being distributed where it can be hard to find out about them by bringing them to a central location, we can offer some consistency for students in terms of the materials available in terms of the facility so it can become a little less intimidating maybe to take a workshop if you've taken one in the space. It might be a new instructor or a new set of classmates, but at least the space and some of the facilities are going to be familiar. But secondly, it becomes a way of finding out about what workshops are available. So we have some workshops that are running through the gallery in terms of these skills-based workshops, but we're also encouraging artists that we do have a space and you know they, they can use the space to teach their workshops. On the other side of the workshop, since you were mentioning the grant, we also are developing a program of professional practices workshops. These we're developing in collaboration with the Saskatchewan Craft Council. This is something I'm personally quite excited about because I think it's a real need that's out there. We did receive funding through Creative Saskatchewan to run a program of 15 six-week workshops. They'll be starting in September and going throughout the following year. These workshops will cover all areas of professional practice for artists, everything from writing a CV to grant writing 
to exhibition techniques, so how to install an exhibition, to how to build your reputation for craft artists, how to sell wholesale or retail. But the difference with these workshops and what we're really focusing on is that they're a combination of a mentorship and a workshop. So they're all taught by artists who are a little bit more established, sort of mid-career artists. So it allows those artists who are, again, local artists, it, it offers them professional development opportunities to develop their teaching careers. But at the same time, for the artists taking the courses, it allows them the opportunity to learn from those who have been there, who have gone out and done the work of developing these practices and can start to articulate that path for them. But it also means that because you're taking a workshop for a six-week period, it's helping them to build a community through both their classmates and their instructors to help them expand their space a little bit. To me, the space of critique is really important and in-progress critique. And if you're writing a grant, getting feedback during that writing process, rather than what often happens is you write the grant and then you might get someone to read through it to edit the grammar. When someone could come in a lot earlier in that process and help you write it, but they're also going to be practically focused so that in every workshop you take, there's a deliverable that you leave with. In the grant writing workshop, you're going to leave with a grant that's finished. In the CV or writing for artist workshop, you're going to leave with a CV. You're going to leave with an artist statement that's been workshopped with your classmates. And so the idea is to let artists leave with some of the tools that you need out there. They so what else are you working on? What else am I working yes, on? Your personal practice. Have you been producing anything lately? I should talk about Finding City for a second. So we are going to be bringing in one of the artists that will be part of Street Meet this year. So we're partnering with Street Meet on that. But I also have a personal project. And the one project that I would say I am working on personally, which is a project looking at the Northeast Swale. So this is a project that will take up to 20 participants out to the Swale for an immersive day led by interpreters from the Miwasan Valley Authority and give people the opportunity to experience what is at the moment an ancient riverbed, a very natural space. It's home to 75 deer, over 100 types of wildlife, 200 types of wildflowers. This is very natural space, but which is under threat of development. There are plans to build a commuter bridge and a second bridge very near to the space that will bisect the space, but what which will also effectively cut off the space. It's the continuity that's so important for animals to move through the space. This sort of built out of a project I did this past summer with Jay White, part of the conversation series. And Jay was looking at how urban wildlife moves through our city. And this is looking at in a very specific context. Some of the people from that project we have brought on to be part of this as in advisory capacities, Candace Savage, Kathleen Aikens, and then we have our Finding City team with Kate Francis and Crystal Buchert, with whom I'm working at developing a residency program, and that program is going to be part of this too. So following this day, participants will be invited to come back to Void, and we'll be discussing collagraph as a printmaking technique, and then they'll be using some materials they collect from the swale to start to create collagraphs to try to express the not so much the physical look, but the experience of being there. So it's asking the question of how can art allow participants to discuss an experience of a space in a different way? And then this will be installed. I'll also be creating prints to go along with this. That will be part of an installation to go into the Miwasan Valley's Interpretive Center through September and October. The second question is, can art allow you an experience of a space that you haven't visited? With the idea that because this is a natural space, if everyone in Saskatoon went to visit it, it it's no longer Absolutely. a natural space. So that's sort of where my own practice has been moving has been less toward the necessarily like prince's objects and more about again sort of that community focused and but also how can we create experiences through art you can find out more about creative commons on our website creativecommonsyxe.com 
or through social media. We do try to keep all our social media channels updated. So we're Creative Commons YXE on Instagram and Facebook or something slightly shorter on Twitter. So find us on Instagram and you'll probably be able to find us through everything else from there. We're also having our grand opening in one week. So that'll be Thursday, April 14th from 7 to 10 p.m. You can come to Void Gallery and then just head upstairs to the Creative Commons. We'll be having free printmaking demos so that you can try different printmaking techniques and take home the prints you make. We'll be giving tours of the space and explaining some of the programming that we'll be offering. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Alejandro. This has been uh, fun for us to be able to. Do you have a like a way of people finding out about your work? You said it's really ephemeral, right? Yes, so. but there's. If you want to see some of my old paintings, my website is not uh, updated. I'm working on that. My website is very easy. www.iamalejandro.com. Alejandro is spelled A-L-E-J-A-N-D-R-O. Well, thank you, and this has been fun. Yeah, thank you. For Alejandro, I'm Michael. You've been listening to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM. A reminder, you can always find us on social media, Unframed Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can listen to this episode or any of our past episodes as a podcast at unframedradio.com or on iTunes. Thank you and have a good evening. Thank you.